Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Either Mr. Trump was lying then or he's lying now, one of the two, but you can't reconcile this disclosure with what he previously stated to the American people on Air Force One. What started as a defense against campaign finance violations may have landed the president in ethical hot water. Well, very often in a case, you begin to pull on a string and you don't necessarily know what that is going to result in. Somebody concluded that they had an obligation to disclose it and probably should have disclosed it last year. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when at first we practice to deceive. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man who wants to prevent the loss of jobs in China, Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. You know, every so often, it's not completely obvious what the president is up to. One of those times was earlier this week when he tweeted, President Xi of China and I are working together to give massive Chinese phone company ZTE a way to get back into business fast. Too many jobs in China lost. Commerce Department has been instructed to get it done. As background, ZTE is a Chinese company that makes cheap smartphones. It got in trouble for violating U.S. trade sanctions on Iran and North Korea. ZTE agreed to pay a lot of money in fines, then didn't pay the fines. So the Commerce Department banned American companies from doing business with ZTE. ZTE was in the process of going out of business before Donald Trump declared he was riding to the rescue. Wait, what? Why would the economic nationalist and trade warrior Donald Trump be worried about saving Chinese jobs in a Chinese company? Why would he want to bail out a company, a Chinese company, facing consequences for violating the same Iran sanctions he's trying to bring back? Well, here are a few of the better theories. One, China cares a lot about this one. Trump doesn't. But Trump has other stuff he cares about, like getting China's help and bringing North Korea to the nuclear negotiating table. Maybe he swapped this for that. Two, this trade war isn't going so well. Last month, China retaliated against Trump's new tariffs by announcing its own tariffs on farm products. Farmers are very unhappy about that, so unhappy it could cost Republicans in the 2018 election. So maybe Trump swapped this for that. Three, days before Trump developed his much friendlier attitude towards Beijing, the Chinese government agreed to put $500 million into an integrated lifestyle resort in Indonesia, where the Trump organization is building several buildings. Maybe he swapped this for that. Starting to see a pattern here? Take something Trump obviously doesn't care about. A company breaking some silly bureaucratic rules or not paying money you owe. Then you put that against the things Trump really does care about. Votes, money for his company, and getting Kim Jong-un to take back calling him a dotard. In a way, the illusion is that we even need an explanation for Trump violating his core principles. The principle to Donald Trump is something you bring to the bargaining table to see what you can get for it. Coming up on today's show, the Washington Post's David Farenthold, 
We'll be back to discuss Trump's latest admission about reimbursing Michael Cohen for the Stormy Daniels money right after we do the tweets. The so-called leaks coming out of the White House are a massive over-exaggeration put out by the fake news media in order to make us look as bad as possible. With that being said, leakers are traitors and cowards, and we will find out who they are. Can you believe that with all of the made-up unsourced stories I get from the fake news media, together with the $10 million Russian witch hunt, there is no collusion. I now have my best poll numbers in a year. Much of the media may be corrupt, but the people truly get it. Trade negotiations are continuing with China. They have been making hundreds of billions of dollars a year from the U.S. for many, many years. Stay tuned. ZTE, the largest Chinese phone company, buys a big percentage of individual parts from U.S. companies. This is also reflective of the larger trade deal we are negotiating with China and my personal relationship with President Xi. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm pleased to welcome David Farenthold back to the show. Uh, David is the reporter par excellence on the finances of Donald Trump and the Trump Organization. David, hello. Hello. So I know you have just been delving deep into the 92 pages of Donald Trump's new personal financial disclosure form. Um, I've been looking at it with less educated eye than, than you have. But what, what jumps out at you? What's the big news here? Well, the big news so far is this admission on the bottom of the page in which Trump lists his liabilities, his, you know, his debts, where he says, uh, well, I don't think I have to disclose this, but just so you know, I gave, I reimbursed my lawyer, Michael Cohen, between $100,000 and $250,000 last year for some unnamed expenses. Uh, that, of course, seems to be a reference to the payment that Cohen made to uh, adult film star Stormy Daniels, uh, the $130,000 payment that Cohen made to her right before the election in 2016. Trump apparently reimbursed him for that. Uh, so what is, where does that lead us? That's that's an interesting admission on its own that Trump, who a few weeks ago had been saying he'd never heard of this, had no idea Trump that uh, Michael Cohen had paid this money, now is admitting that, in fact, he paid Michael Cohen back for that payment. Beyond that, there's a question about whether Trump should have disclosed this on last year's financial form, whether this debt existed last year, if he should have said it then, and also whether there is any sort of campaign law implication from the fact that, uh, you know, Michael Cohen seems to have been doing this to benefit Trump's campaign. 
I mean, as I read it, there was a footnote on the first page that said the Office of Government Ethics is requiring this disclosure. And then on in the middle, forty page 40-something, where he makes this disclosure, there's another footnote that sort of says, well, we're not necessarily required to make it, but in the interest of transparency, we'll make it anyway. So they're even having a dispute kind of beneath the surface of this about whether he has to say this or not. I think in this case, the Office of Government Ethics is, I mean, they're the authority here. And if they say that Trump had to make the payment or had to make that had to disclose that payment, then I think he did. Uh, there's also this interesting angle where today also the Office of Government Ethics sent a letter to the Department of Justice, to Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, saying, basically, look at this thing that we found. Uh, President Trump should have disclosed this uh, this debt, this liability to Michael Cohen in 2018. The implication being that maybe he should have disclosed it last year. And, you know, and so what we're trying to figure out is, you know, they're sending a letter to the Justice Department what does that mean they want the Justice Department to do? And, you know, if this was set written about some other uh, federal official, not the president, you might assume that they were inviting the DOJ to basically investigate why this disclosure had been left off last year's form. Uh, because it's the president, I don't really know what's going to happen next, though. I mean, a more note to most people than the question of whether he had to disclose it last year and is disclosing it a year late is just the the utter inconsistency of what Trump's been saying about it. I mean, as, as you know, we're close students of the uh, all things Stormy Daniels on Trumpcast. But just, I mean, the sequence as I remember it is first Trump was asked by a reporter in Air Force One where this payment came from. And he said he didn't know where Michael Cohen got the money. Then Michael Cohen said he hadn't been reimbursed. Then Rudy Giuliani went out and said Trump had paid code back. Then Trump said Rudy didn't know what he was talking about. And now Trump is apparently acknowledging the reimbursement. I mean, it seems like the gang that couldn't lie straight, right? I mean, they, they, can't, they can't get their story together, whatever it is. The, the, the unanswered question at this point, and we've had a number of statements from Trump and people around him that may no longer, you know, we, should, that we look back and say they may not have been true. The unanswered question at this point for me is when did Trump know that Michael Cohen had paid this money to Stormy Daniels and when did Trump agree to pay Cohen back? You know, was it at the time? Did he know about it in October 2016 when the payment was being made? Did he agree to reimburse him at that point? You know, and if not, when did he learn about it? You know, was it during his presidency? Was it recently? Uh, what they've said about this has been utterly inconsistent, as you've pointed out, both over time and among different players in this in this situation. We have to know more about when Trump, what Trump knew and when he knew it. Um, you know, going through, you get a lot of weird bits of information that's kind of murky in these reports. What, what else did you see in there that's maybe interesting for, for a follow-up later? Well, what I'm interested in is how well the Trump businesses are doing, you know, and whether the, the presidency has been a boon to these businesses or, uh, you know, has hurt them. Yes. And so we're going through trying to figure out, uh, you know, it, it, can you see any movement? Is the revenue going up or down? Are they selling more condos? Are they, you know, bringing in more golf revenue? I'm still going through it. But one of the interesting things to me is the Trump Hotel in D.C. has been doing very, very well. Obviously, this is a place where Trump visits a lot. And a lot of people who hope to influence Trump have big banquets there, have their dinners there. You know, it's a good place to sort of, if you want to influence the administration, this seems like people have decided it's a good place to spend money. That place is doing very well. Uh, but there's also some properties where Trump is highly leveraged where he may not be doing as well. The one that stands out to me is Doral, this really, really expensive golf course down in uh, Miami that Trump bought with $125 million worth of loans from Deutsche Bank a few years ago. That's a place where he it was losing money when he bought it. He needed to turn it around. The figures we're seeing now seem to indicate it's losing it's, – it's lost 11 percent of its revenue just at the time when Trump needed to ramp that revenue up in order to make his loan payment. 
payments. Uh, I'm interested in seeing how many other businesses have lost money, uh, especially ones that are fur far away from sort of the influence business. There's no hope that if you spend money at Doral, you'll get to see Trump there. Huh. So how does that affect the business? And is that is, is the golf fad has peaked or do you think that has to do specifically with the, Trump's ownership of it? Well, this is a bad time to be in the golf business, as you said. I mean, Tiger Woods has done okay lately, but the the sort of boom he brought to the to the golf business is basically over. Golf courses are shutting down left and right. Trump has made a lot of large investments in golf courses that were losing money when he bought them on the idea that he had the ability to sort of, you know, through good management or the magic of the Trump name to turn around their struggling fortunes. And it's what we've seen, at least so far, is that the places where he's made those big bets, uh, he hasn't been able to do that. And in fact, his name that he before he ran for the presidency, he thought was sort of the, you know, the special sauce that would help these places. It's now become something that's kind of curdled and turned people away. Do you have any idea looking at this report and other all the other stuff you look at how much the federal government has paid to Donald Trump for the use of his various properties? It's not nothing. There have been instances where federal officials, Defense Department officials staying with Trump at Mar-a-Lago have paid him to rent one of the rooms. There was just a report in the Scotsman newspaper in, in Edinburgh that uh, the U.S. government, the State Department had paid to rent some rooms at Trump's Turnberry Resort for some sort of VIP visit. There are some federal government expenditures at these Trump properties. It, the, the amount, though, is dwarfed by the huge amount that the Republican National Committee and Trump himself spend in political money at mm -hmm. these properties. As Trump has lost you know, sort of regular rank and file customers, he's tried to fill in the gap by, by using his donors' money and Republican donors' money. Um, so that's another kind of self-dealing. Yeah, it's it's not the same as directing federal funds to your property in huge amounts. It, you know, the people who are wronged are political donors who maybe know what they're getting into. But it's certainly he has the power to use money given for another purpose that is helping his political career to help his bottom line of his business. And he seems to be using that power. What you get at a basic level with these disclosure forms is a list of assets and a list of liabilities. Does this give you a picture of what Donald Trump is worth? The, the great elusive question. Not really. Uh, the asset values are given in ranges, uh, which were not designed for somebody with his kind of assets. I mean, what people don't understand is that Trump, the person, is Trump the business. There's no separate Trump organization that's incorporated separately. He owns everything personally through these layers of LLCs. And so everything, the business's assets are his personal assets. That's how he counts them. So, you know, he has a lot of golf clubs that he counts as having a value over $50 million. There's a lot of loans that he counts as, you know, the highest boundary for a loan is over 50 million. And he has a couple of loans that are over 50 million. We don't know how far over 50 million. Right. So given the <laughs> Could limitations- Could be 500 or 50.01, right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, given the- uh, Some of the office building loans are much more than 50 million. So given that, we don't really have a great sense of uh, the high end of either his liabilities or his assets. So it's, it's hard from this to get any sort of clear picture of his net worth. It's a lot- uh, it'll probably be over a billion dollars. Um, but there's, uh, you know, beyond that, I can't give you much clarity. Given that the idea here is for the president to make fundamental financial disclosure so people know what his, his conflicts of interest could be or who might have leverage over him, there's stuff that's just so murky. I know one thing you've mentioned in the past is this thing called the Chicago <laughs> Unit Acquisition LLC, which is an entity he owes a lot of money to, but that he owns and that lists no assets. What on earth is that about? I don't know. That that to me is the biggest mystery. And it's it's the same in this year's financial disclosures that just came out today as it was in past years. 
So which uh, to list his loans, and as I said, the biggest possible loan he can list is over fifty million. That's the that's the biggest category, and he lists uh, yeah. one of those to something called Chicago Unit Acquisition LLC, which started in twenty twelve. He doesn't really say when it ends, and he doesn't say what it is, how much it's for, other than over fifty million. Does that have something to do with his purchase of what used to be the Chicago Sun Times building, that big so, yeah, building so he, he owns he, in Chicago? He has a big building that he built in Chicago that had a lot of financial troubles around two thousand and eight, uh, and so. It seems like maybe this was necessary to take out a loan to buy up unsold units or something in the Chicago building. Maybe he needed to pump some more money into it to keep it afloat. But it, the, as you said, it's it's a loan, but the the lender is not Deutsche Bank or some bank. It's 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 this LLC which Trump himself owns. And people we've talked to said, okay, well if that if that entity that Trump owns has a 50 million plus loan that it's given out, then when Trump lists separately the assets of that LLC, it should be more than $50 million because you know somebody owes it more than 50 million bucks. Instead, he lists the asset as, assets as being basically zero. So one possibility is that that is just a pass through to hide a loan from somebody else, right? If there's somebody else out there who gave a loan to Trump through Chicago Union Acquisition LLC, then that that LLC's assets, because it is a $50 million loan that owes somebody and Donald Trump owes it $50 million, that's a zero. So it lists its assets as zero. It would be just a way to hide the true lender in that case. To avoid the transparency. To avoid transparency. I don't know much more about it than that. It's a huge mystery and it's a lot of money. And he doesn't have to tell us. I mean, why doesn't the OGE get on that? Can't can't, Can't they pursue that line of inquiry? In my experience, OGE, the Office of Government Ethics, which oversees these personal financial disclosures, is a very by-the-book operation, right? If if they feel like you have satisfied, you know, the letter of the law, they're not people who are going to go digging in and saying, "Well, what's what's behind this? What does this mean?" This thing they did with was sort of forcing Trump to acknowledge this liability to Michael Cohen is more aggressive than I think they usually are. Um, so I haven't seen any effort by them to sort of like proactively solve the mystery of this weird Chicago unit acquisition loan. When uh, you go through the, these pages of assets, David, there's some of these entities just make your eyes bug out. I mean, <laughs> DT marks Baku, DT marks Dubai, DT marks Qatar, you know, and which I guess are these these are the the vehicles that license Trump's names to these very dubious uh, property developments in you know in the case of Baku, Azerbaijan. I mean, it just makes you scratch your head at the the insanity of a sitting president having owning assets like this which create these uh, clear conflicts of interest around foreign policy every day right well, I think the Trump organization's uh, reasoning on this is they have done no f- new foreign deals since he was elected but uh, and I, I believe that that's true they they haven't as far as I know signed any new foreign deals but there were a number of foreign deals that were in the works before he ran for president that they've continued and as one of those uh, is as you said Baku they actually built a Trump tower in Baku there was a great story in the story in the New Yorker about how the money in that case seemed to come from people connected to the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. Yep, Adam uh, Davidson, who's been on our show uh, several times as you have, has been all over this one. An amazing story by him. Uh, and so those were things that the building is still there. In fact, it caught on fire last week. But I don't think <laughs> Trump is making any new money off of it. But it, it, in most of the cases, these foreign things where it's like DT marks, whatever. Those are license deals where Trump got paid for the use of his name and he may get sort of a percentage of the profits or percentage of condo sales, but he doesn't own those properties. Almost all the work and the investment is coming from some other partner. Um, And so trying to understand who his partners are and what kind of help they might 
be seeking from Trump is, is one of the hardest parts of judging his conflicts of interest. You did a big story, uh, I think, a couple of weeks ago now about Trump buying real estate properties for cash. And this is really interesting. Uh, as you describe it, it started in 2006. And particularly um, golf courses he bought was spending a total of uh, like $400 million in cash. And what's interesting about that is, well, first of all, real estate people tend to, to borrow money to, to make investments whenever they can. And, you know, Trump himself has always touted being the king of debt and all this. And so it's a sort of exploration of that. But Talk about that a little bit, David. I mean, what's why would he be why would he be doing that? As you said, it's really unusual, not just for the real estate industry. Obviously, it is real estate business. You know, that's one of the maxims: you borrow money, you don't spend your own money. You do that, you know, because your money goes further if you're able to leverage it by adding equity from other investors, by adding loans from banks. You know, you can you can invest in bigger projects and make bigger returns. Also, it's it's sort of safety. You know, you spread your money out in a number of projects, then you're insulated from a real harm from catastrophe if any one of them goes bad. Whereas if you just sink your all your own money into one of these projects, then you know it's stuck there. And also if that project goes bad, you lose your shirt. So people in real estate just don't buy big things with cash. And Donald Trump especially didn't buy big things with cash. He's, you know, as you said, he's called himself, I'm the king of debt. You know, I use other people's money. And he did. That was how he was sort of a more enthusiastic practitioner of that than almost anybody in real estate. And then in 2006, he starts doing it differently. He starts buying properties in cash, you know, not financing any of it with with uh, borrowing money from other people, not borrowing any money from banks, just his own money. And it started kind of small with some relatively small golf courses in the U.S., 3 million, you know, 5 million, things like that. But in after 2012, he started blowing huge amounts of money on some uh, money losing golf courses overseas, two in particular in Scotland and Ireland. He's poured in, he spent $80 million in cash to buy them, and he spent like $150 million more in cash to keep them operating, to renovate them. And these were assets that were losing money when he bought them. As you said, golf just isn't that good of a business. So the idea that there's going to be a, a return on that much cash is kind of dubious. Um, but so we've asked, okay, where did this cash come from and why? Why would you suddenly change tactics? And what Eric Trump told us, Eric Trump, the son who now runs the business, was well, we, we had all this cash just because we as a Trump organization are such a successful business. We our, our existing businesses throw off so much cash and lease payments and royalties and other things that we could just sort of dip into that cash flow and spend 400 plus million dollars. And, you know, why do it? Well, we become more conservative. You know, we don't want to be leveraged up. We don't want to borrow heavily. We don't want to be the same kind of high borrowing, high risk, high reward company that we were. 20 years ago, now that the kids are sort of in charge, they want it to be conservative. They just buy these generational assets and hold on to them for long periods of time, taking the cash flow. That's their excuse or that's their explanation. It's just that what people have told us is, you know, outside real estate experts, the question is not, did the Trump organization have enough cash to spend on these properties? That's hard to know looking from the outside because it's mm. such an opaque company. The question is, even if they did have, you know, that $400 million plus $1 to spend on all these things, it's still not a good idea to do it. It's still not the way anybody does it. It's just not. It's, it's more it's, risky rather than less risky, right? Because instead of, as you say, being protected by an LLC, if the investment goes bad, you you walk away. In this case, you're, you're losing your capital. Right. What people have told us is the kind of, the people, there are people in this world who buy golf courses in all cash. and But in general, there are two kinds of people. One, 
a really rich guy who buys a really small golf course, you know, for a million bucks, two million bucks to kind of have as like a personal man, you know, <laughs> I'm going to buy this course. And when you come here, you know, it's when you already course. have a tennis court and a swimming pool, right? Right. Exactly. It's, you you want to have your buddies come over to a place where like you're the, you know, it's your club. And, but that's obviously a smaller amount of money. And the goal is not to make money. The other thing is like the sovereign wealth fund of Dubai or the sovereign wealth fund of Norway that just has so much money that they're just, they don't even need to make money. They're just looking for places to park their money. Um, but the Trumps aren't in either one of those categories. They don't have that as much money as the sovereign wealth fund of Dubai. And they're not, you know, they want to make money off these properties. And if you've fallen into, you know, that category, you're buying golf courses as an investment to make money. This just isn't the way anybody else does it. And it seems like, you know, there's good reason not to do it the way they do it. Is another explanation that that was the point at which they couldn't borrow money from from banks because of Trump's previous bankruptcies? Is that possibly the reason? Well, Eric Trump says no. Uh, they had lots of banks competing. And the one thing that should be noted is they actually w did manage in this same period, 2006, 2014, when they're buying all these properties in cash. They do a couple of really big deals that are like the old Trump, the big, big borrowing, big spending, big risk. And the, and those are the Doral golf course that I talked about earlier that they, they let's see, they bought it for 150 million and they, they borrowed 125 million and the DC hotel, the Trump DC hotel on Pennsylvania Avenue here, uh, that cost, I think, $210 million, of which they borrowed $170. And in both cases, they borrowed from the same bank, Deutsche Bank. So Deutsche Bank has, uh, when other folks might have been reluctant to lend to the Trumps, Deutsche Bank has been, they've, they've loaned them $295 million recently. So, I mean, I don't know if they couldn't get a loan from other people, but it seems like they were able to get loans from Deutsche Bank for some properties during this period. So that and kind we of- we still don't understand that either, right? Why no, Deutsche I, I, Bank alone among, among these big commercial banks is willing to lend them huge, huge amounts of money. Yeah, that, that, I, we haven't heard much from Deutsche Bank about their reasoning. <laughs> but, you know, that, that to me sort of shoots a hole in the idea that they couldn't, you know, they, they bought, bought in cash because they couldn't get financing. Obviously, they could get financing from somebody. Uh, so it can't be the only reason. What is going on with Trump in two, 2006 when this starts to happen? I mean, it happens to be the year he ran into Stormy Daniels and he seemed to uh, have, shall we say, an active social life. He also just had a baby. He is, is he handing over the business to his kids? What's, what's going on with him? There's a lot of change in the Trump organization in that particular year, like late 2005, early 2006. I mean, there's geographical change that, you know, The Apprentice had succeeded, but it was sort of, this is still in the period of sort of the regular people apprentice before they moved to like the Gary Busey celebrity apprentice that kind of gave the show a second <laughs> life. Regular people apprentice was kind of losing some steam. And so they they relocated the series to L.A. for that season. So mm. Trump, uh, he lives in L.A. most of the time. This is a time when, as you said, Melania had just had Barron. Trump is gone a lot of the time on his own in L.A. So personally, he's this is the year he met Stormy Daniels and some other of the folks who've accused him of you know having affairs with them or you know har sexually harassing them. And uh, he's unmoored from his old world in New York. He's unmoored from his family. He's doing this stuff sort of, you know, un different things personally. And also the business changes. So a lot of these really big licensing deals where Trump just gives his name to somebody uh, to, to sort of slap on their building and he collects money just for giving out his name. Uh, those properties, a lot of those letters of intent for like the Trump Soho, Trump Toronto, that's all being signed in like late 2005, early 2006. So the the model of the Trump organization, which had been previously like 
building buildings in Manhattan or owning commercial real estate in Manhattan is shifting to this kind of licensing model uh, at the same time as he is starting to buy things in cash. So it's a time of enormous change and turnover in his life and in his business. And I think we're just starting now in retrospect to understand all the changes that were happening. What just as a last question, David, what are the what are the things that you are most focused on finding out now? What do we not know about Trump's personal finances and business finances that counts as a burning question? Two things. One, the question about now. You know, I'm trying to going to go back and look at these figures to see what we can learn about the fate of Trump's golf courses and businesses in Mar-a-Lago. How are they being affected by his presidency? But the bigger question looking back is what can I learn about Trump's business between 2006 and 2014, this period where he suddenly had so much cash and the willingness to spend it to buy things? Where was that cash coming from? What were the rest of his businesses doing? You know, what connections was he making? I I just want to know more about that to be able to judge Eric Trump's statements that we had tons and tons of cash and we didn't, you know, so much that it was okay with us to spend it in this seemingly risky and strange way. You know, the more I understand about that period and where was money coming in and going out to, uh, the, the better we'll understand whether Eric is, you know, giving us the full story there. Uh, and if it turns out he is not, I will not be the most surprised person on the planet. Well, I hope you'll have him back on to talk about it. <laughs> I've been speaking to David Fahrenthold of The Washington Post. I certainly will, David. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast was produced by Jason DeLeon. You know what I haven't bothered you guys about recently? Joining Slate Plus. I know a lot of you are members, but some of you aren't. Slate Plus is great. I use the Slate Plus feed to listen to all my podcasts because you get them without ads. You get the plus segments, which for some of the shows are really the best part. And you get a bunch of other benefits like first crack for tickets to live shows like the one we're doing on May 30th at the Bell House in Brooklyn. You really should be a member of Slate Plus. It supports the journalism and the other work we do here at Slate. And special thanks, as always, to John D. Domenico. He's our voice of Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. But I'm sad about all these leaks, all these leaks. This will probably get leaked. My leaking will get leaked. It's terrible. Terrible. Here we go. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.